0: Thank you all, appreciate the song. Go ahead and get in your Bible if you would to Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13. We are uh, nearing the end of our Sunday night series on the rightful authority, how to use it, why it exists, how to follow it, and uh, I really only have one more uh, message in this series that I have planned. uh, after that, we will either go uh, through the book of 2 Timothy, uh, verse by verse, or I've got a couple of uh, doctrinal uh, issues that uh, I've been thinking and praying about addressing, too. So uh, just pray for me. I want to please the Lord, I want to be a uh, help uh, to you. Uh, understanding rightful authority, following rightful authority, uh, it is one of the key areas of life if we're going to be blessed by God. Remember, uh, God cannot be uh, visibly seen today. He cannot be audibly heard today. So because of that, God delegated some of his authority to something we can see and hear. He delegated it to his word. And then in the word that we can see and we can hear, he delegated authority to husbands over their own wives, not men over women. He delegated authority to parents over children, not adults Over all kids. He had delegated authority to pastors over the flock where they lead, not all clergy over all. Lay people, And we have now spent uh, probably about three months, issue after issue, just talking about uh, how rightful authority is supposed to be used, what is the purpose of it, how it's supposed to be followed. And uh, while I get that this is not a subject that really piques very many people's interest, uh, this is one of the most important things to having peace in our homes and peace in our churches and peace in our uh, culture. Uh, Last Sunday night, Uh, We spent our time making application of the strong uh, biblical terms that describe a a parent-child relationship. And tonight I want to do the same thing. Two weeks ago we talked about the strong terms that describe uh, a husband-wife relationship. Tonight I want to do the same thing. I want to make a biblical application of the strong terms that describe a, a pastor and a church member relationship. Now, it would be easy to skip a subject like this because it is self-serving. By the way, that doesn't make it any less true. Uh, But this is a subject also that's greatly misunderstood in American churches. Because pastoral authority is misunderstood, some shepherds, quite frankly, they think too highly of themselves in their position and they have a real heavy hand in the Lord's work. And they lose sight of the fact that their authority stops at the property line. Uh, Because people don't understand this, some church members just ignore this and they make the life of their pastor hard and they grieve the Holy Spirit either in their ignorance or in their rebellion and and they lose God's blessings in their life minimally and sometimes bring God's discipline uh, in their life and no sensible person wants that. See, God intended each of his local churches to be healthy, productive, bodies of Christ, Uh, but unfortunately, examples abound where both leaders and followers misuse or misunderstand or both uh, authority in the church, and it makes God's house a place of combat and conflict, and it shouldn't be like that. And so just like the last two uh, lessons, I plan to uh, read uh, and Briefly talk about some of the scriptures that relate to this issue and then uh, some of these strong terms and strong phrases. And then uh, what I want to do is I want to pause and and just make some practical application uh, of that. And, um, you know, it's a sad thing that in our culture um, there are not a lot of believers who have the kind of relationship with their pastor that God desires. You know, it is a special relationship, and uh, I spent some time this afternoon when I was going over uh, my notes and uh, just thinking about uh, the man who was my pastor for 20 years, and uh, the special relationship that we had. A lot of it, uh, the first 13 years of it, was from a distance, and then the last about eight years were, uh, I got to work with him every day, and... um, it's a special relationship to me. I uh, got to see him a few weeks ago. I don't see him much anymore. I, I, I'm not a good person at um, follow-up. Uh, when, when people are around, I, I do good at investing in that relationship. But when their life and my life, not for bad reasons, just have gone different directions, I'm not good at being the kind of person who follows up. Uh, but I got to see him the other day and spend some time with him. And I just can't tell you what that meant to me. And uh, how hard it is for me to see him um, just be weak. And, um, you know, he, he, to me, was just so vigorous and had so much life. It's hard to see him different than that. But uh, tonight I want to talk about our relationship. And uh, if you're going to get mad that this seems self-serving to you, I'm sorry for your attitude. Uh, I'm just going to teach the Bible. Uh, Go ahead and stand, if you would, and honor God's word. Now my thought is just pastor and the sheep they shepherd. Pastor and the sheep they shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Verse 24, Salute all them that have the rule over you. And all the saints, they Italy salute you. Thank you. you might be seated. As I mentioned before, when we briefly touched on this subject several weeks ago, this has nothing to do with the authority of all clergy over all believers who are not clergy. That doesn't exist. Uh, But it has everything to do with church members and our spiritual leaders, especially pastors, uh, how we interact together in the Lord's church. This relationship is a close relationship. It has to be close enough in verse 17 for what you do and I do to make this relationship either a joy or a grief. It has to be close enough for uh, verse 24 for you to salute. Remember, uh, that in the New Testament means to embrace, to enfold in in the arms. See, God wants more than distant Christian authors and distant high-profile Christian preachers and teachers and bloggers that you do not know in the life of His people. See, increasingly in our culture, Christianity is becoming something that's distant. And the relationship that people have with their spiritual leaders is increasingly distant. It is not uncommon in our day for churches, uh, instead of starting another local church like they ought to, uh, people show up and they watch their pastor on a screen who is in another location. I mean, it happens all the time. And people have substituted relationships with God's people in the local church and a relationship with spiritual leaders with... Christian television and Christian radio and Christian books. And increasingly, when God intended uh, pastors and spiritual leaders to have close relationships, close enough to embrace and enfold in the arms, and close enough to make uh, our jobs either a joy or a grief, it's a bad thing that that's becoming less and less common. It's interesting in these verses that in verse 7 he says, Remember them, not just him. Uh, Verse 17, obey them, not just Him. Verse 24, salute all them. This isn't something that is strictly just uh, some admonitions for uh, people in the church and the pastor. This is about our relationships with spiritual leaders in our church. In our church, we have three pastors. We have myself and Joe and Josh. And by the way, I don't do this much because I pick on them a lot. I just want to thank God for them. I mean, man, they do a great job. And they're godly young men. And they love God and they love you and they love the work that they do here. And this isn't just about me. In fact, it's not even just about our pastoral staff. It, it is also because we have many lay spiritual leaders here. We have Sunday school lay leaders, and we have master club lay leaders, and we have children's church lay leaders, and in all of our classes, they're taught by uh, volunteer people. This is uh, for them, not just me. God uses some strong terms here and in another section of Scripture that we're going to take a quick look at in a moment before we make some practical application. But He uses some strong descriptive terms and phrases to describe our relationship. He begins in verse 7, He says, Remember them who rule over you. By the way, that's the opposite of taking them for granted. Ignoring them. Forgetting about their role, forgetting what God sent them to do and not do and be and not be in your life and in His work. That's a strong word. In fact, it's an equally strong word in verse 7 when He says, follow. Whose faith follow. By the way, that word is the same word as our English word, mimic. I mean, there are aspects of every spiritual leader, including myself, that are biblical. There are aspects of every leader that are their personality. There are aspects of them that are their culture and their background. Uh, He's not looking for you to necessarily become a fisherman in the wilderness, because I do. Uh, He's not looking for people to mimic the cultural and the background aspects of those who lead us. But when it comes to the faith, when it comes to the things of the Bible, God is looking for us to follow and to mimic those biblical things. It's a strong, strong word describing our relationships. And notice leaders in verse 7, they're supposed to speak the word of God. Have you thought about how strong of a phrase that is? You know, sometimes uh, I, I think we like to hear preachers tell personal stories more than we like to hear them teach and preach the Scriptures. We get a little more excited when they express their opinion than... When they teach the Scriptures. Now listen, nobody can preach and teach the Scriptures without expressing their opinion and and making applications that that are personal. And and I try, for the most part, when I do that, to say, this is what I think, or this is what I believe, or or, this is my opinion here. But but nobody can escape that. But it's a powerful thing when in this relationship, primary relationship of me and you and you and your other spiritual leaders here who teach and preach is to speak the Word of God. That's a strong phrase. Just like in verse 17, those are strong words. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourself. Those are strong words. By the way, mature and godly leaders give as few direct orders as possible. Uh, When we taught in detail in husbands and wives, I I, I think it's a big mistake, though God made husbands the authority over their wife, She's not your child. She's your wife. And I think the times when you step up and say, listen, I'm the husband here, this is the way we need to do it. Those, if you're a wise leader, those don't happen much. It's the same thing with the pastor. I try to understand the fact that this whole pastoral chip, well, I'm the pastor here, uh, I don't play that chip very much. It, It ought to mean something when a spiritual leader says, you know what, this is what I think should be done. But they're strong, strong words. leaders, in verse 17, they watch for the souls. And give account to God for how they do so. I mean, that is a strong term. Watch, like we talked about earlier, means to guard. and It's not just simply see them. It's a strong phrase. Same thing with verse 24. Salute, to unfold, to embrace in the arms. That is strong words. Listen, it will take humility and effort and being yielded to the Holy Spirit on all of our parts, to be in this relationship and enjoy it like we should. Go back in your Bible to First Thessalonians chapter 5. Notice the equally strong terms that he uses to describe our relationship there. Notice what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. It says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Notice that followers know them which are over them in the Lord. By the way, that's more than just listening to them preach and teach. That is to get to know them. I I, I believe that every one of us, whether it's you and your relationship with your deacons, you and your relationship with your adult Bible teacher, you and your relationship with your pastors, I, I, I think it's good for us to know each other. It's a strong word. Verse 13, followers are to esteem them who lead them very highly in love. And if you know anything about humanity and the humanity of those who lead us, even those who are well-intentioned, we know that at times we will be esteeming people who don't deserve our esteem. They're just people. And we do so because God has placed them in some role in our life and in His church. But well, that's a strong, strong term. Those spiritual labor leaders in verse 12, they are supposed to labor among you. When it comes to God's work, there's no such thing as uh, somebody sitting in an ivory tower doing very little themselves and just directing other people to work. It is a responsibility of every spiritual leader to labor among the people of God. To be an example of what it means to have a good work ethic in life. To be an example of what it means to have good work ethics in ministry. Uh, leaders to labor among them. That, those are str- that's strong phraseology about our relationship there. Over you and the Lord. That doesn't mean better than. It's a pecking order. in decision Making. Strong words, and I've said this multiple times in this series. All of our roles are not an inferior submitting to a superior, it is two equals filling a role that God established in these situations. Notice leaders in verse 13 or verse 12 they admonish you. You say, I just want a pastor who's going to love me and be encouraging to me. No, uh, your spiritual leaders at times do admonish you. They're supposed to correct things. They're supposed to intervene at times in a way to make things happen differently than we plan for them to happen. And I'll tell you just from first-hand experience, that's a very difficult thing to do. You say why? Most adults uh, say they believe in correction, but what they believe in is them correcting other people, not them being corrected. Strong words. We should find in the teaching and preaching and leadership, uh, in any spiritual setting in which we find ourselves, we, we should find somebody who admonishes us from time to time, somebody who inspires us to bigger things and better things and fixing things. It is a part of our relationship. Remember, follow, obey, know them, esteem, embrace, speak the word of God, watch for their souls, rule over labor. Strong words. And in light of these strong terms about our relationship, what I want to do is I'd like to just spend the rest of our time on some practical helps for all of us in our relationship. Go fl- please first in your Bible to John 13. Here's number one. Mercy and forgiveness needs to prevail because of our love for one another. Mercy and forgiveness needs to prevail because of our love for one another. Most everybody who knows anything about the Bible, you know this verse. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this, Shall all men know that you're My disciples if you have love one to another? Listen, we are a failure as a church if one of the things people don't feel when they come in this place is that these people love each other. That's important. And when people love one another, we allow mercy and forgiveness to prevail when we disagree. I think anybody can understand this teaching of Jesus, but I find it to be one of the more difficult things He taught us to practice. I think most of us find it easy to love and have mercy and forgiveness prevail when it's our family, our friends, but we don't always do that like we ought when it comes to spiritual leaders and those who follow us. Do you know, the more people are together... The more reasons that will always come up for us to conflict. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, think about how easy it is to get along with a television preacher. He never expresses any authority over you, you never have to deal with any of his faults and flaws. You just see him for a few minutes from the pulpit. Super easy. By the way, it's also very easy to get along when you come one hour a week and you sit and you don't ever do anything really together. You come and you sit and you sing together and you listen to some guy together or watch some guy on a screen together and just turn around. It's really easy to get along. But you know, in a biblical church, it's different from that. We're together a lot. Have you ever thought about this? We're together a lot in the areas of life that are the most difficult to be together. Do you know what we feel strongly about, most strongly about in life? Our money, our kids, and our religion. And so here we are, in many cases, three or four times a week together, and working together and serving together, and our kids are together. And, and I'm going to tell you, there are... And by the way, I'm not aware of any problems at this time. This was on my schedule to preach. And so if you've got something on your mind that you think this is about, you're wasting your energy. And by the way, I believe God designed the church like this on purpose. He didn't call the church His bride and His body and then intend that to just be together on a casual basis once a week. Listen, He wants our lives intertwined because that is really the only way we really grow to love people. When you spend time with somebody and you've got to work with them and you've got to work through the difficulties of kids not getting along and you've got to work through the difficulties of having different views on this or that ought to be done. Listen, it takes love and patience with one another. And God did this on purpose because He wanted us to grow. And so if you and I are going to follow these strong terms and fulfill them in in our life, we are going to have to let mercy and forgiveness prevail as we deal with each other. Number two, leaders need to find motivation and heart to set the pace for themselves and those who look to them. By the way, that's not just true of my leadership of this church. That's true of every leader here in your Sunday school class, in your children's church class, in your bus route. You must find the motivation to set the pace wherever you are. Listen, there are people looking to you. I'm not the one that said that those who look to you are supposed to follow your leadership, obey your rule. I didn't say that. God did. And what that means is you have to be somebody that leads them. You have to set some kind of a pace. When we do the work of God, it's not just something we casually show up for and slop together at the last minute. And if you're doing that as you're doing your work and ministry for the Lord, you need to stop that. We must find how to motivate ourselves spiritually. We must find a way to do that. By the way, thank God for people He's put in our circle who do encourage us and who do uh, uh, inspire us. But understand this, is that in every one of our lives, mine and yours, there are going to be times when those people that you count on to inspire and encourage you are not going to be there. And like David in 1 Samuel chapter 30, you're going to have to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. even the best and most sincere leaders and followers at times find that there's nobody there and they need God. By the way, that's what we're here for. (laughs) Because our God is trustworthy. Our Savior is faithful. Number three, all of us need to use whatever position, strength, and gifts we have to lift and motivate those who look to us. I don't know if you ever think about this, but if God made you bright or God gave you spiritual gifts or God gave you strength, He gave you that, not so that everybody would look at you and say how wonderful you are and how great it is to see somebody who knows what you know. God gave you that to help people. That's why you have a position. And we need to not lose sight of that. See, see, we live in a culture that wants to glorify those who are uh, strong and those with titles and those with skills. It, the, it's not about having those things for that. It's about having those things so that you can lift somebody. And you've heard me say many, many, many times from this pulpit, if my wife is not better off in life because I was her husband, and my children and my daughter-in-laws and my grandsons are not better in life because I was in their life, and you're not better because you were a part of Bible Baptist Church, I've been a complete failure. Because I'm here to try to help you by the grace of God rise higher in life and go farther in life and do more for Christ and know Him better than you would have ever known Him or what you had ever done if you didn't know me. And none of us who ever lift anyone or reach out when we're nitpicking had people's faults and focused on their weaknesses. Listen, it shouldn't shock anybody that the very best human leader is just a person. The best from among men is still a man at best. That is true for leaders. That is true for followers. Number four, we all need to have enough sense to build and support leadership and authority whenever God has established it. You've heard me say this a bunch in this series. You don't lift yourself tearing somebody else down. No husband lifts himself up tearing down his wife. No wife lifts herself up tearing down her husband. No parent lifts their children up tearing down the other parent. That's just not the way it works. You don't lift yourself up tearing down your Sunday school teacher, tearing down your deacons. You don't lift yourself up tearing down ministry leaders here. You don't lift yourself up tearing down pastoral staff here. That's not the way you lift yourself up. You take yourself down. God purposely allows times when we either will give those who lead us grace and support and prayers, as long as they're not directly disobeying God, or not. And I say to anybody who has authority here, you need to make sure you use that to support what's good and right. Number five, we all need to work on trusting people. <laughs> you know, it's a healthy thing to trust people to a degree. Not like you trust God, not like you trust the Bible, but it's a healthy thing to trust people. Now, I don't know. I, I don't know how many of you are wired like me. Some people... They're just trusting people, and, and they just do really good at trusting people. I'm wired the opposite. Uh, you might not be like this, but to me, it is a very unnatural thing to trust people. And it needs to become, for those of you who are wired like me, it needs to become a supernatural thing, because we need to trust people. Not like we trust God, not like we trust the Bible. But, but I, I'm talking about it is not a bad thing for a follower to trust their leader and leaders to trust their followers. I, I, I realize that sometimes because you've been burned in the past by a spiritual leader. And listen, I know pastors who just don't trust, their, don't trust people anymore because they've been burned by people. That, that's just as bad. When we trust those that God has given to us in our life, we're trusting God. Did you hear me? Number six. We need to fight the urge to correct everything and everyone we think is wrong. I think it is human nature to be just an expert at spotting Faults and flaws with the people around us. Uh, probably. Human nature being what it is. If I were to give you the name of anybody here. That you know very well at all. You could list their faults and flaws. That's just. The way. We are. i say it's good. I'd say it's the way we are. You know. At times, godly people do want our input and they do want our feedback. But I want to tell you, the accuser of the the brethren in Revelation chapter 12, that's Satan. You know, before you feel like you need to correct somebody who's doing this or, or not doing that, why don't you ask yourself this simple question. How many times have I complimented them and encouraged them? And you know what? If you can't find much of a record of you saying positive things to them and you encouraging them, why do you feel like you are appointed by God to correct them? I I, I want you to let that sink in. You know, probably if you've found somebody and over the course of the last few months you've complimented them five or seven times and encouraged them that many times, you know what, maybe you could pull them aside and say, you know what, blah, blah, blah. But that's not what we do. We somehow feel that we are appointed by the Spirit of God uh, to correct everybody and everything. And, and everybody's beliefs revolve around our be- beliefs. Well, they're right here, but they're wrong there. Like each one of us as individuals is the absolute pinnacle and apex of the truth. That, 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 that is a demonstration of zero humility. Instead of piling on our criticism, most times we should be looking for what God is teaching us through their flaws. Number seven, I go to Romans chapter 15. By the way, I'm just making practical applications of, of these strong terms. Notice what Paul says in Romans 15, 30. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, here it is, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Here's number seven. We need to pray for one another. You know, without the grace of God and the help of God, none of us can fulfill these roles God assigned. I'm talking about some kid can't be a good kid to human parents without God's help. I'm talking about some parent, the best intentioned parent, you can't be the kind of parent you should be without God's help. I'm talking about husbands and wives. No wife can be what she should be and no husband can be what he should be without God's help. And that's, that's true in, in a spiritual realm too. That's true with you and I as a pastor and people relationship and you and uh, your relationship with our assistant pastors here and your deacons and Sunday school teachers and ministry leaders. Listen, uh, Paul wanted them to strive together in prayer. Now I want you to think about this. Who is it that needs your prayers? See, we kind of have this idea sometimes that people who are good prayers, they don't need our prayers. I want you to understand, Paul was such a good prayer that when he was jailed in Philippi, when he prayed, there was an earthquake that came and it shook the entire jail and their chains were loosed and the jailer was so moved by them witnessing to him before he fell asleep that he came to them and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul was good at praying, but I think you and I would be amazed, and I won't take the time to do that, if we go through and find how many times Paul said, would you pray for me? You know, I believe every leader would be a better leader if those who looked up to them and followed them prayed for them. I believe that every follower in any capacity would be a better follower if the leaders were praying for those who follow them. I, I, I ask you, if you teach a class here, do you have a list of everyone in your class? Do you pray for them by name every week? Do you, if you're a parent, do you have a little list of the people that teach your children in Sunday school and teach your children in master clubs and teach your children in children's church and who handle your teens and teen ministry? Do you have a a little list of them and do you pray for them by name? Do you have a list of the deacons here? Do you have a list of the pastors here? Do you pray for them? I, I want to tell you what, it will make a huge difference in all of our lives and in the ministries of Christ when we really and truly pray for one another. These words are difficult words. They're strong terms. These roles are hard to fill, but they're designed to produce something special. All of them. Which gets us to our last thing tonight, number eight. When you cannot fill the role assigned to you by God in the church, you need to quietly move on without stirring up any trouble. There are good ways to join a church, and there's good ways and bad ways to leave a church. I am amazed over the years at the carelessness some people exhibit in how they join a church. I mean, I have literally had people who listen to my sermons online and said, hey, I'm going to be in town this weekend, can I join? I said, you've never been here. I said, you need to show up. You need to meet our people. You need to see what goes on. Well, you don't want me. No, I just don't think that's a good way to join the church. I had one guy who was mad at me. Listen to my sermons online. He came here one time. He emailed me and said, I want to join. I said, you know what? I said, why don't you come a few more times? See what's going on. Had another couple. Uh, they came and they came a few times um, and met me in the hallway. And said God has led us to join here. I said, Great, uh, that's great. That would be a wonderful thing. And they misunderstood that our Lord's supper service was at 5:30 for our uh, our members and our regular service was at 6:30 for, for everybody and anybody who wanted to come. And so they went somewhere else and they joined that church that night. But listen, the Spirit of God is not flippant like that. And, and when we choose to join a church, when we choose to say, do you know what? The Lord has sent me in this body. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 says. That is a serious thing. It's not something you do and undo in a day. It is something that you spend time understanding and spend time knowing what's going on and you seek the mind of God. I'm not talking about we find somebody and we lead them to Christ and baptize them. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're one of the Lord's sheep and you're trying to find the body of Christ where He sent you. That is a big deal. There's a way to do that that's good and bad and because the church is so important there's ways that to leave that are good and bad do you know what i've seen most of the time over the years other than when people move people make that decision in anger and they're mad so they go can, can I just say this? There's a reason that James 1.20 says, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You will never think clearly until you first get the anger out. You, you'll just never think clearly. And what I've found generally to be true is that when people left somewhere angry and came here, eventually they just got angry here and left angry. Not universally, but generally. Generally. I don't think that God wants us making that big decision in anger. And since the church is so important to Jesus, He calls this the body of Christ, the Scriptures do. It's the bride of Jesus. That is something that I would never want to mistreat. Do you know, if you ever known anybody they're angry and then they're angry that other people don't? aren't angry with them. There's something wrong with that. I mean, why if you're angry at me? And listen, you will get angry at me. I'm just a man. I've told you multiple times, I'm not here because I'm better than you. I could name names of people in our congregation. They're better people than I am. I am 100% certain. I'm not here because I'm better. I'm here because God gifted and called me to do what I'm doing tonight. That, that's the reason I'm here. Why, why when, you, when you are angry at me, why, why are you trying to rally other people to get angry at me? Amen. Amen. I mean, think about that. And then you're angry that they're not angry with you. Do, do, you, do you really think that God's Spirit works like that? Or do you think that maybe sometimes in in your anger you just get in the flesh? If you're married, lift your hand if you've ever been angry at your spouse. If you're a parent, lift your hand if you've ever been angry at your kid. I won't ask you to lift your hand, but you know what? The same number of hands would go up if I said lift your hand if you've been angry at your pastor. Say why? Because that's... What happens in relationships? That, that's what we have. We have a relationship. It, it's a special one. And the more potential a relationship has to be special, the more potential there is to be angry and not have that. We may or may not like this, but on two separate occasions, Jesus said something to the effect of, when you do this unto one of the least of my brethren, you do it unto me. Do you remember what Jesus said to Paul when he uh, saved him there on the road to Damascus? He said, why persecutest thou me? You know, when, if you ever feel like it's time to move on from a church, and God does sometimes do that, uh, we are His sheep to move around. Just don't do it in anger. Don't, don't, don't feel like you have to tear things down on your way out. I don't feel like you've got to take as many people as possible. I would never want to do anything that hurts somebody God has called that hurts one of the Lord's churches, or just set aside my ego, and I just would quietly move on. The Lord is well able to take care of any judgment that needs to be done. I want no part of tearing down any man of God or any church. I want no part of it. And I hate to say this, because I'm a Baptist. Also, I'm a Baptist in purpose. Um, I believe the New Testament church was carried through the group of people called Anabaptists, the Rebaptizers. I mean, the Donatists, the Novatians, the Waldegenses, the Albigenses, the Lollards, the Wyclifites, all of those people over the centuries who refused to conform to Rome in any way. The Anabaptists. But much to our shame, what we are known probably more than anything for is fighting amongst ourselves. These things ought not so to be. You know what we ought to be known for? Man, I went into that Baptist church. They preached the Bible. They taught the Bible. But you know what? Those people love each other. And you know when I walked in there, do you know what I felt like? I felt like they wanted me there. That's That's the way it ought to be. Amen? Amen? you quietly stand.